Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you had a very happy, happy Christmas Day, Christmas Eve. Hope you get to spend some time with the family. Hopefully you've got through this uh, time without getting the COVID, which is running wild through our country right now. Stay safe, stay healthy. New Year's coming up. A lot of bad radio shows are doing best of lists. By the way, if you're listening to a radio show and they're doing a best of list as opposed to a regular show, it's because they're lazy and they didn't want to do any show prep. Just letting you know. Bitter former radio guy speaking right there. The Bills get a big win in New England. Certainly going to talk about that. A lot of NFL today as the season winds down. We've got to talk about SU hoops. They did play last night. Yeah, Forgot about it, too. Don't worry about it. They played last night. They play Wednesday. They play on Saturday as well. So a lot of stuff there and a few other things I want to hit on the way out the door. But I want to start with what happened in New England on Sunday. And the Bills go to New England. And this wasn't a game I was optimistic about for the Bills. I I didn't think they were going to go in there and get it done. But... When you have the best player on the field, things change. And Josh Allen is simply that. The best player on the field Sunday afternoon in New England. And frankly, most of the games the Bills have taken the field in this this year has been Josh Allen. To see a guy, and I remember having discussions with fellow media members. I won't call them arguments. But... Going back to Josh Allen's pro day at Wyoming. Now, watch the pro day, and I haven't watched a ton of pro days, but I happened to watch his. And what I saw was a reason that people would get really excited about the potential for Josh Allen to become a big-time quarterback. The size, the effortless arm strength, the ability to run and throw on the move. Some of the things he did at Wyoming, you could just see, and it's like, most guys can't do that. Then the first couple of years of training camp, being out there every day at St. John Fisher, watching and, and seeing a lot of the same things. Things that the rest of the quarterbacks that were around just simply couldn't do. Now, there were bad throws, and the people who were the naysayers would point to that. See, that's the problem. Well, yeah, that was the problem. But what Josh Allen has become, and I, I thought this last week, and it was cemented this week, is pure and simple a top-five quarterback in the NFL. And when you have a top-five quarterback in the NFL, you have a chance to win every Sunday. You think about the statement I just made. He's a top-five quarterback. Well, the top two, in my opinion, are Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Two guys that are Hall of Famers winding their careers down and still at the top of their game. And I don't think there are many people that argue that those two are one-two. Patrick Mahomes, an MVP, a Super Bowl champion, to me is three. Those are the top three. And then you start thinking, okay, who comes after that? You could throw a lot of names in there. But as I look at it, I don't think there's anybody at this point that I would take over Josh Allen at number four. If you're going to rank quarterbacks and you look at the body of work, their abilities, their shortcomings, because everyone's got shortcomings. Everyone's got abilities that we're we're discussing. Justin Herbert is, is, is fantastic young quarterback. Joe Burrow. I watched Herbert and Burrow go at each other the other day, or a couple weeks ago, I should say, and both love both quarterbacks. And I came away with that, and I have like a man crush on Justin Herbert. I think he's phenomenal. I came away from that game going, if I'm building a team, I'm taking Burrow. He threw for five and a quarter on Sunday. So as you look around the league, there are a lot of people you could argue and possibly Put in front of Allen. Now, I know Lamar Jackson was a pro bowler this year, not Josh Allen. I wouldn't take Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen. I love Lamar Jackson. I think he makes the Ravens special on what is essentially a fairly mediocre team without him. But I I wouldn't take him over Josh Allen. Who would you take? So 
with that as the backdrop, we go into Sunday's game, and and shame on me for not thinking about this, because in the first meeting, the best player on the field was Josh Allen. In a 30 to 50 mile an hour wind, guys throwing BBs around the field, and, and, and his receivers didn't help him. I think there were five or six drops in the game, and granted, it is windy, so it's tough for the receivers as well. But Allen played great. I remember doing the podcast after that game the next day and saying Josh Allen played a great game. And and I think that was an unpopular opinion and maybe an opinion that most people don't buy into. But then the second half, what we saw with Brian Dable essentially just letting Josh go against Tampa, and I think that changed the season. I really do. I think that changed the outlook of this season. Josh Allen on Sunday was by far the best player on the field. And if it was a brief snippet at the end of the game when Belichick came up to Allen and said something. Belichick is gruff with the media. He's not somebody who people look for a soundbite for. But he's known for saying some very poignant things to people he cares about. And he and Allen had an embrace, and I guarantee Belichick was telling him how much he thought of him, because that's Belichick, what he does to players around the league. His reputation within the league is completely different than his reputation from the media. And some guys are like that. Eddie Murray, great Baltimore Oriole for a long time. One time, New York Met, as a matter of fact, amazingly, played for the Dodgers as well. Eddie Murray... The media portrayed as one of the worst people in baseball. And I remember talking to a guy who played with Eddie Murray, and I said, what's up with that guy? He's a jerk, huh? He's like, no, he just doesn't talk to the media. He's one of the best teammates anyone could ever ask for. But the media is going to lead you down a road that they want you to believe because they believe it because their interactions are good. Bill Belichick, media interactions are not good. So you're going to hear one thing, but within the league – You don't hear anyone talk bad about Belichick, ever. The worst thing can be said was when Sean McDermott said, let's not give Belichick too much credit after they beat him a couple weeks ago. So this game, to me, signified a a bona fide-ness, if that's a word and it's not, of the rivalry between the Patriots and the Bills. This is going to happen now going forward. The Patriots' defense is very good. The Bills' defense their pass defense anyway, is very good as well. The Bills have a special talent on offense. And going into this game with the COVID problems with Beasley and Gabriel Davis out, Feliciano out with the COVID, Deion Dawkins coming back from COVID but not being 100%. So you got an offensive line that's already banged up. We got Ryan Bates starting. And if you think – I don't know what's going to happen here. They're not going to be able to protect Allen. Well, Josh Allen protects himself. And and some of that is just innate ability to keep plays alive. And some of it is the fact that Brian Dable decided to move him around in the pocket and let him do things. And, you know, there's a lot of credit to go around. Credit Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott went into this game with the fact of we're going for it and we're going for it on fourth down. Three for four on fourth down. He went for two-point conversions. He went against his own book to coach aggressively. Now, he's not without flaw in this game, and I'll get to that later, but McDermott coached a great game. Brian Dable, halftime adjustment was, hey, look, we got McKenzie on these underneath routes all afternoon. First four plays of the second half were passes to Isaiah McKenzie. Guy finishes with a a career-high 11 catches. He had two at halftime. So credit to Brian Dable making the correct calls. He's not without criticism in this game, and I'll get to that as well. But a lot of positive things happened. But they all happened, in my opinion, because of one thing. Josh Allen being the quarterback of the Bills. Allen's numbers, they were okay. 30 of 47, 314, three touchdowns, ran for 64 yards as well. But it was the ability to move in the pocket, keep plays alive, 
make a couple throws that nobody else in the league maybe can make, maybe one or two other guys can make, but he's got all of that ability. He's got the it factor, which is coming up. We're seeing the it factor grow. The it factor to me for a quarterback is what do you do late in games? What do you do when your team is down? Can you put your team on your back and get them there? And, you know, growing up as a kid, Roger Staubach had the if factor there like no other. And then you watch John Elway, if you were a guy my age, do things late in games. To me, that's a quarterback's it factor. We've seen it from Joe Montana, Brady, Rodgers. The greatest names ever to play it do things late in games that 20 years later they still show the highlights of. Josh Allen against Tampa Bay didn't finish the job, but he got there. And, and it's a process like anything else in the league. And Josh Allen is growing in that process, the it factor process. But all the other things, they're there. And, and, and this guy, and, and I know I'm gushing about Josh Allen right now, this guy has gotten to the precipice of being one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and I think there's another step for him. And we may be seeing him get ready to take that step. Now, he's got to get it done in the playoffs, and the Bills aren't in the playoffs yet. Now, this win against New England has them tied with the Patriots. They control their own destiny. Atlanta at home this week. The Jets at home next week should be should be two wins that sew up the division, then a home playoff game, at least one home playoff game going forward, depending on how sh- things shake out with the Bills. But watching Allen in this game reinforced my previous week's opinion of, man, Josh Allen's become a top-five quarterback. And, and I can't believe I'm saying those words, and many people are shaking their head. Now, I know Matthew Stafford was put ahead of Allen and Dan Orlovsky's top five yesterday on ESPN. And Orlovsky's a guy I respect a lot. I disagree with that sentiment. You tell me if Sean McVay had an opportunity right now between to choose between Josh Allen and Matthew Stafford. I've always been a Stafford guy. He wouldn't choose Josh Allen to run that offense. I, I got to disagree with Orlovsky there. Allen gives the Bills a chance every week. Now, against New England, the interesting thing was his counterpart because the Bills were going to go in and do what the Bills do. They were going to throw the ball. They were going to try and run it. And I thought Devin Singletary, who's become the Bills' lead back, and I think that's an important distinction because if you have a two-back system, I think a lot of times you lose – the ability to develop a rhythm. But on the second play of the game, swing pass to Devin Singletary. He gets hit after about a one- or two-yard gain, drags a defender, and runs over a defender to pick up a first down. And it was one of those things, it was a small little thing, but it showed me that, hey, this this is that was something. That was something. And I guarantee you New England took notice of it, and I know the Bills' sideline took notice of it a a physicality that I think it's so has been lacking so many times for the bills and Devin Singletary came out right away and demonstrated it it went throughout the team if you look defensively Tremaine Edmonds played fast on Sunday he hasn't always done that and it's been my biggest criticism of him he plays hesitant Sunday, he played fast, and he made some big hits, and he looked really good. Ed Oliver had another really strong game in the middle of that D-line. Starla Tulele didn't play for personal reasons. You get the feeling Starla Tulele, bye-bye, is, is going away. I, I just it, It's no longer time to hope that Star could be good. Harrison Phillips has taken that role. Harrison Phillips is the guy who should be there. The secondary for the Bills was excellent. But they're going against a guy, Mac Jones, who's a rookie quarterback, who's not a physically gifted quarterback. That was why he lasted and three other guys were drafted before him. But it's one of those things. As you watch this, you can see the Bills taking a step as a team. 
they're flawed defensively. They can't stop the run. They didn't stop the run on Sunday. Damian Harris was over 100 yards yet again, easily, on I think 17 carries. So defensively, they're still flawed. But they did enough things offensively to make it so that the Patriots had to do things out of their comfort zone offensively. And it played into the Bills' defense hand. And this is how, last year, they got to an AFC championship game. The offense sets the tone. The defense takes advantage of the position that the Bills' offense has put their opponent's offense in. That's the recipe. That's the recipe for success. Score, get leads, Force the other team to abandon the run, be one-dimensional. And the Bills' very excellent secondary, even without Tredavious White, is good enough to cause turnovers and create problems. Happened Sunday. Biggest win, I think, this Bills franchise has had in the Sean McDermott era. Because if they lose this game, there's a good chance they don't make the playoffs. Winning this game, they're likely to win the division and likely to get a home playoff game. Huge Huge step forward for this team. So that was excellent. You look at the offensive line. Allen did a lot to help them, but let's give credit where credit is due. Brown, Bucker, and Bucker being lost for the season, that's big because Cody Ford's dealing with the COVID now too. Not that he's very good, but at the same time, depth, depth piece. Bucker being out with the Achilles. Morris played a good game on Sunday. The Bills got a decent game out of Williams. Dawkins, when he did play, had some really impactful plays. Hopefully he'll be a full go this week. They can swing Brown back to the right tackle and and be in a better position against the Falcons. So a lot of positives that came out of this game. Negatives. You know I'm going to bang on Sean McDermott for his timeout usage. Look, Sean McDermott loves very few things more than a good defensive timeout. We know this. He's going to waste timeouts on defense. As I've watched McDermott waste timeouts on defense, once I've gotten over the fact that it makes me want to jump through the TV and scream at him, I've started to pay attention. And one thing I've noticed over And over and over again. And I don't have any statistics to back this up because this is going down a rabbit hole. I simply don't have the energy or the time to figure out. But it seems as though, and and, and since I've been following it, it's been 100% true. And this is midseason. Sean McDermott calls a defensive timeout. 100% of the time, the opposition succeeds on the next play. Since midseason, 100% of the time. Sunday, twice. You've got fourth and, I'm sorry, first and second and goal from the two-yard line. Timeout. Get organized. New England scores a touchdown the next play. Fourth and seven at the end of the game. Near midfield. Timeout. New England gets a first down. It's uncanny how many times McDermott calls defensive timeouts but now watch this going forward, and the opposition succeeds 100% of the time. Now, nothing happens all the time, and I'm sure on Sunday he'll do it again, and it'll work out for the Bills because I'm saying this now. I haven't said it before, so I haven't jinxed it. Now I have. But pay attention to that, and it's something going forward to the playoffs that McDermott has to save those timeouts in the second half. He's got to be better with his game management. Brian Dable, who, again, I've given this guy a lot of credit for the game plan on Sunday. You come out, and and, and the last drive, the touchdown drive that Allen led the Bills on that put them up two scores. There's a situation there where you keep the clock rolling. There's about seven minutes in the game when the Bills got the ball. But you've got to know that there can't be an incomplete pass. Simply can't be. Yet, throw, throw, throw. I just don't understand the lack of incorporating time management into play calling that the Bills have done. And this is something where Brian Dable, in my opinion, needs to grow, needs to get better. And a lot of young offensive coordinators 
do the same thing. We saw it a couple weeks ago from the Cowboys' young offensive coordinator. They're at a point of a big game where they need to keep the clock spinning. Comes out and throws the ball three times and, and take no time off the clock. It's bad coaching. Got to be better. And again, Dable, he's new at this. This is where McDermott, in my opinion, needs to take control and let him know, hey, clock has to run here. No pass plays. Run the football. And this is where, in my opinion, the Bills roster isn't set up properly yet to finish games by grinding things out on the ground. They need to get better at that. They play Atlanta on on Sunday, and this should be a very good matchup for the Bills. Atlanta's not a physical team. Atlanta doesn't have a very good defense. Atlanta doesn't run the ball well. Those are the things that give the Bills the most problems. Matt Ryan's very good still. He can throw it, but he's a statue. You know where he's going to be. Dial up some blitzes and get after him. The receivers without Calvin Ridley are very average, so you could take some chances and play some man coverage. Kyle Pitts is a spectacular young tight end. He's only going to get better. But figure out a way to blanket him with Milano and a safety and minimize the damage he can do. Do that defensively, you're in good shape. Offensively, let Josh cook and keep him upright as much as possible. Now we're to the point of the season where you want to make sure Josh Allen is good to go for the playoffs, but you're not going to get to the playoffs if you don't don't win the game. One last thing about the New England game. Stefan Diggs changed the Bills' mindset when he came to New, to Buffalo from Minnesota. He gave them an attitude. He gave them an identity. Man, his celebration after his touchdown, when you, 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 you shut the bleep up, was one of the things that I think Bills Mafia, I'm surprised I haven't seen a T-shirt already with that on it. Bills Mafia is going to love this guy even more for that one. Stefan Diggs is a great player, but he's a great part of the story in Buffalo as well. So the Bills get a big win in position to win going forward and getting the AFC East crown. And I think winning two AFC East crowns in a row is huge. It it sends a message. What's interesting to me is what will happen besides. You look at the games, Bills against Atlanta should be a win. Bills against the Jets, it's got to be a win. You look at New England and Miami, what they've got going. Now, the two of them meet in Miami the last week of the season. New England plays Jacksonville this week. That's in New England. Should be a win for the Patriots. Then Miami is at Tennessee. Miami's tough. They get a win last night over New Orleans. If both win this week, sets up showdown the last week of the season in Miami. And that might be for a wild card berth. If the Bills win, take care of their business. New England and Miami all win this week. New England, Miami play. If Miami wins, the teams have the same record. Miami would have the head-to-head tiebreaker and get the playoff berth over New England. So definitely something to keep an eye on there. So the AFC East has been fun, except for the Jets. It's been a pretty good division this year. Titans 49ers, Titans 10 and 5 now, and, and this is a good win. And it's interesting to me. I banged on Kyle Shanahan saying he's overrated. And, and I like the fact that he's got a great offensive line. They run the ball, they use Debo Samuel everywhere. Whenever the 49ers lose, it's Jimmy G's fault. And, and he didn't play well, frankly, on Thursday night. Came out through that interception early in the second half. Whenever they win, it's Kyle Shanahan's a genius. Can't be both ways. One or the other. Shanahan has got to take credit for the wins and the losses. And he's also got to make Jimmy G better. And it's interesting you showing Joe Show and Ryan Tannehill and Jimmy G because I really think they're the same guy. You can win with both of those guys. But they'll lose games for you as well. They'll turn it over. And Jimmy G turned it over against the Titans. 
For the Titans, though, A.J. Brown back after a shoulder issue. People who drafted A.J. Brown early in fantasy, like me, weren't all that happy to see him out because if you drafted him early, like me, you're out of the playoffs. So, yeah, it was nice to see A.J. Brown have a good night. This is a guy, I think, who can be a real factor going forward. And, and I haven't heard much about Derrick Henry, but if he can come back, Titans are going to play home playoff games. If Henry can come back for the playoffs, having A.J. Brown healthy, watch out for the Titans. It's a good football team. 49ers, by the way, the way they run it, if they do get in the playoffs, they're going to be a tough out in spite of Jimmy G and in spite of, in my opinion, an overrated head coach. Oh, by the way, their general manager, John Lynch, who gave up three number ones to move up to get Trey Lance, who will likely see this week because Jimmy G's hurt. Well, John Lynch sitting in church liking tweets saying leaving Jimmy leave Jimmy G in Nashville, probably not the best move. Now, he inadvertently liked that tweet. Wait, what? How do you inadvertently like a tweet? You press a little heart. And if you inadvertently liked it, you press the heart again. It unlikes that. If you do that quickly, it goes away and probably nobody notices. Yeah, something fishy there. I think Jimmy G's time in San Fran done. Trey Lance not ready to go, but we'll see if he's ready this week. Packers beat the Browns. And speaking of quarterbacks and, you know, where could Jimmy G go? How about Jimmy G to Cleveland next week? Next, not next week, next year. The Browns, Baker Mayfield was awful on Saturday against the Packers. Awful. Four interceptions. Now, two of them, there's got to be a call. The NFL officiating was terrible. There's got to be a call on two of those interceptions. Still leaves two. What was crazy about this, in Lambeau against the Packers, the most complete team in the league, Browns still had a chance to win. And Kevin Stefanski's got the ball with three timeouts and a minute and a half, averaging close to nine yards a, a carry. Nick Chubb's just killing it. But why does Nick Chubb only have 17 carries? Use this guy. Run him like crazy. I, I just don't understand the play calling late. And, of course, Baker doesn't get it done because Baker can't get it done. He's not the answer. It's obvious now that he's not the guy. He'll be around for a long time, but he's not going to be the answer as to who's going to be the starting quarterback to change things in Cleveland. That roster is ready to win right now. There was another call in that game. The worst offsides call, or I guess illegal motion call, I think I've ever seen. Packers clearly offsides. They call a motion penalty. Nobody moved. They called it on Wyatt Teller, the former Bill, And he didn't breathe, I don't think. It was just deplorable. Poorly officiated game, but Baker Mayfield can't turn it over four times. By the way, i got to gloat about something. After the draft, when the Browns in the first two rounds took Baker Mayfield one overall, four, Denzel Ward, the cornerback, and then came back, I think it was the first round, first pick of the second round, took Nick Chubb. I remember a an irate Browns fan calling my show, furious that the Browns didn't take Saquon Barkley. And at the time, I said, I think Nick Chubb has a chance to be every bit as good as Saquon Barkley, although not as spectacular. And this guy wouldn't hear it, wouldn't listen, wouldn't, done with the Browns, going to burn my Browns gear. I wonder where that guy is now, because find me anybody who thinks Saquon Barkley is a better running back than Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is just a great back, and, and you never hear anything about him. Just goes along and does his business. He's basically the bizarro uh, Baker Mayfield, because Baker talks all the time and you hear a lot about him. Nick Chubb, you don't hear anything about him. He just produces. Give me Nick Chubb all day, any day. Speaking of great backs, Jonathan Taylor over 100 again. Indy beats Arizona. Time of possession. Indy had 35 minutes and 29 seconds. That's their recipe. They're going to run the football. They did it this time without four offensive linemen who normally start playing in the game because of COVID injury and and Ryan Kelly, a horrific personal reason. Lost an infant child 
to just horrific situation. So thoughts are certainly with him. But this indie team, watch out. They're tough. They've got attitude. They can run the football. They can impose their will. And they're doing all this in spite of Carson Wentz. As I watch this game, and it's interesting to me because Kyler Murray, physically gifted, just don't see the intangibles. But Carson Wentz was awful in this game. And I don't mean he didn't play well. I mean he was awful. And yet they won on the road against a really good team. The quarterback situation in the NFL is so strange right now. There are a handful of guys who are really good. There are another group of guys that on some Sundays can be good. And then there's a bunch of guys who can't play at all. It's really, really a bizarre situation. Atlanta beat the Lions, in case you missed it. And I hope you did. Who watched this game? Who put their gear on and said, I can't wait to watch that Atlanta Lions game? Wow. What a bad football game. Really. I I don't even have anything to say other than I just can't imagine a human being spending three hours of their life watching this. And if you did, you're loyal. Good for you. You have my deepest sympathies. Do better. Tampa crushed Carolina. Carolina, they don't have a quarterback. Cam, Sam, P.J. Walker. Look, they don't have a quarterback. But I got to think, David Tepper, billionaire owner, not a patient dude. I got to think he's got to be looking at this and wondering if Matt Rule is going to be the answer as the head coach of this organization going forward. I like their defense. Obviously, McCaffrey's been hurt. You wonder if he'll ever play a full season. But my question is, is Matt Rule going to be done in Carolina? And if so, who does David Tepper go get? He's not a guy to hire a coordinator and give him his first try. He's going to spend money and make a splash. There's a lot of Jerry Jones and David Tepper. The Cincinnati Bengals are likely to win the AFC North. They're likely to do so because they've got the best group of skill position players of any team in the NFL. Think about that. The Bengals. You, you think about, we always talked about the triplets, right? You got a quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Take the wide receiver group. You take the running back and the quarterback. Find me somebody who's got a better group than Joe Burrow, and I told you he threw for five and a quarter, fourth most in NFL history. Joe Mixon, who I hate as a human being, but he's a great back. T. Higgins, who we showed. Jamar Chase, who's the AFC Offensive Rookie of the Year. And Boyd is the best third receiver in the NFL. This team, offensively, is loaded. And the offensive line has gotten better. But continue to build that in the offseason. Very low-key acquisition defensively they made. The guy from... The pass rusher, Hendricks from New Orleans, comes over. It gives them an impact rusher, edge rusher, defensively. Really big-time acquisition, underrated. Watch the Bengals going forward. I can't believe I'm saying that either. Maybe it's because I'm wearing black and with a little bit of orange on right now. But watch the Bengals. They are tough. And, and again, if they sneak into the playoffs, they're going to put points up. Joe Burrow's a stud, man. I really think that kid is going to be an excellent, excellent quarterback for a long time. Speaking of guys I think are going to be excellent quarterbacks for a long time, throw Justin Herbert in that category. But, man, talk about a bad, bad day Sunday. Herbert goes into Houston and the Chargers, and I know they had COVID issues. I know they were playing without some really key cogs. But you can't lose to the Texans. Texans put up 41. And I'm say something positive about the Texans. They might have their guy in Davis Mills. Mills had a, a, a very efficient day again. This guy's outplaying a lot of other very high-drafted quarterbacks so far this year. Keep an eye on him. I don't know what's there, but you can't tell me right now that he hasn't played better than Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence, for that matter. Trey Lance, we'll see what he's got. Justin Fields, he's played better than him, too. So, 
again, I don't know that Davis Mills is the answer at quarterback. I just know this. He's been a lot better quarterback than rookies who everyone has anointed as their franchise quarterback going forward. Rams beat the Vikings. Sony Michelle ran for 130. Kirk Cousins without Dalvin Cook, he's just a guy. Kirk Cousins isn't a bad quarterback. But you don't build your offense around him. Alexander Madison is good. He's not Dalvin Cook. Minnesota, this year is a year of what could have been. And I wonder if Mike Zimmer survives this year because of all these close losses. The Rams, everyone is ready to anoint them as the team to beat in the NFC. I'm not sure I'm ready to go there. They've got more superstars probably than any other team. But the one guy who hasn't played it down this year might be the most important player for them going forward. Cam Akers, running back out of Florida State. If he's able to come back for the playoffs, and he could play this week, he's been practicing fully, watch out because Sean McVay with a good running game is one of the greatest offensive minds in the history of the league. Everyone talking about Matt Stafford? Watch how much better Matt Stafford gets if Cam Akers comes back. Could be huge. Jets and the Jaguars. Again, I know my sister watched it. I don't know why she watched it. Well, I do. She's a Jets fan. But, my God. Hey, Zach Wilson had a 52-yard TD run. Moving on. Eagles and Giants were tied 3-3 three to three at halftime. And I'm thinking, what what's going on with Philly? The Giants, they, they just seem dead in the water. And they're, they're t- playing a tough game. Jake Fromm is their starting quarterback. Yeah, well, the second half. Philly decided to play. Tough injury. Miles Sanders, broken hand possibly. Might be out for a bit. That could impact them. But Philly, that offensive line, has done a really good job. And Jalen Hurts, I heard an answer from Jalen Hurts about, it was a simple question, what did you see on a play when Dallas Goddard was wide open? He missed him. His detailed analysis of that play made me, look differently at Jalen Hurts. This guy is a smart, thoughtful, understands the game, crazy athletic. Now, I want to see him continue to improve as a pocket passer the way I wanted to see Lamar Jackson do it. But with the right situation, and they've got the offensive line, I still think they need a bell cow back. I like Sanders, but I like him as a changeup. I don't think he's big enough to be a full-time running back. I think Philly, with Devontae Smith, Jalen Hurts, I think they've got something going. I I really do. And as a Cowboy fan, it pains me to say I really like what they're doing. And Nick Sirianni, I think, has a good finger on the pulse. If you're a Giants fan, as if your week didn't get worse by the news that looks like Joe Judge is sticking around and Danny Dimes. Remember when they called Daniel Jones Danny Dimes? Yeah, that that didn't last too much. Another radio caller stopped calling my show because he was convinced Daniel Jones was going to be a far superior quarterback to Josh Allen. And I said, what has Daniel Jones done to prove it? And it led to a whole thing. But, yeah, no wonder where that guy is now as well. Bears played the Seahawks. Oh, one last thing. Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley was 15 carries and 32 yards against Philly. Saquon for the season, now he's played a full season-ish, missed some games with an ankle injury, 461 yards and two touchdowns. Saquon Barkley, unbelievable how he hasn't been able to be the impact player he showed he was going to be early in his career. The Bears beat the Seahawks. Nick Foles, man, who knew he was still on the Bears? Dalton dinged, Fields dinged. Nick Foles rolls him out and makes a play at the end of the game. Interesting on this one, and I'll explain it later. That was a good loss for the Jets and a bad win for the Giants. Stay tuned. We call that a tease. Kansas City beat the Steelers. Joe, sorry about that. The Steelers, this to me, watching this game, it seemed like the eulogy for Ben Roethlisberger. It seemed as if 
yeah, it's it's over. It's it's time to move on. Now the Steelers are still live. They have a chance at a playoff. It's not going to happen. Steelers are done for the year. They're going to miss the playoff. Ben's done. Career, great career. He'll be in Hall of Fame as soon as he's eligible. But this felt like a eulogy. My question is this. Is it only Ben's eulogy or is it going to be Mike Tomlin's eulogy as well? I I really think there's a good chance for the first time in a, a long time and only the fourth time in like the last 130 years that that organization is looking for a head coach. Raiders beat the Broncos, two teams looking to hang on. Difference in this game is the Raiders were able to run the ball with Josh Jacobs being physical, 130-ish yards in this game. And the fact that the Broncos couldn't, Devontae Williams, not able to get things going, Melvin Gordon, I think he had negative yardage in this game. Just Drew Locke isn't the answer there. Denver, I've said it a few times, get them a quarterback, and I think they're going to have a new coach to go along with it. I think Vic Fangio is going to be out after this year. So it's just going to be interesting what they do in Denver. But that's a good roster, too good a roster to be on the outside of the playoffs looking in, in my opinion. The Sunday night game was the Redskins, I'm sorry, the Washington football team, at Dallas. It, it, this was going to be an old school throwback game. As somebody who grew up watching these two teams go at it in the 70s and the 80s, nothing better than a, a good Washington Dallas game. Holy crap, was this over quickly. And it was over quickly for a couple of reasons. Now, the, the takeaway from this game was Dak Prescott was out of his slump. And Dak played really well, 28-39, 330, four touchdowns, threw a touchdown to uh, a, an offensive lineman for the first time since Rayfield Wright. If you know that name, you're old. Rayfield Wright caught a touchdown pass way back when. But Dak played very well. Ezekiel Elliott ran hard. But this Cowboy team, is no longer a team that's predicated on the offense. And the offense has all the shiny new toys. Mari Cooper complained that he didn't get the ball enough. Ironically enough, he caught passes, I think four passes on the first drive of the game. Here, sorry, Amari, we hear you. Michael Gallup is spectacular in his deep threat ability. And I've, I've said this a few times. Free agent after this year, somebody's going to sign him. Make him your second wide receiver. He's going to be a hell of a player. And C.D. Lamb continues to get better and better. So while everyone looks at the Cowboys' offense, the story of this team isn't those shiny toys or Zach Barton or Tyron Smith. It's the defense. And right there is Demarcus Lawrence. The play that he made, it was a pick six, was one of the most athletic plays I've ever seen a defensive end in the NFL make. Not only the athleticism to bat the ball, catch it, but the run after it, it, it was, it was fantastic. Lawrence being back, Randy Gregory being back and being a freak, Micah Parsons being the second coming of somebody. And I don't know who, and I won't say Lawrence Taylor because I never will compare anybody to the greatest player I've ever seen on the defensive side of the ball. But Micah Parsons is just unbelievable what he does. And he's being made better by the fact that Gregory and Lawrence are so good. And then you add to that on the back end, Tavon Diggs, who picked up his 11th interception of the season. He's entering rarefied air now. He's got the most interceptions as a cowboy since a guy named Everson Walls. And it's ironic. That's who he reminds me of. A guy who takes chances, he'll get beat over the top a little bit here and there. I think some of those plays are because the Cowboys' safeties aren't really all that good. But this Cowboy defense is special. And with that offense having all those shiny toys, I'm intrigued to see where this thing goes. Because I really think they have a chance to get something done in January. And remember this, Cowboys now... At 11 and 4, they trail the Packers, who are 12 and 3. They have a tiebreaker on the Packers. If the Packers lose one of their 
last two, and the Cowboys win both of their last two, and there's no guarantee there. They play Arizona and Philly, two good games that they have to, or two good teams that they have to beat. But if they end up tied, Dallas could end up with home field advantage throughout, and you'd much rather, much rather play at home in Dallas with all that speed then in the fro on the frozen tundra in Green Bay, if it comes down to that, the one team there that I think the Cowboys don't match up well against is the San Francisco 49ers. Because the Cowboys, they're not particularly great against the run. Against the pass, they're very good. And that's where the offense, similar to Buffalo, get a lead on somebody, force the other team to throw. It plays into the Cowboys' hands. So there are very few teams that are more complete than Dallas. I'm I'm not ready to anoint them, but man, I'm impressed by them. And then you had last night Miami and New Orleans. Anyone stay up for that whole thing? Look, Miami's a good team. They really are. Their offensive line is terrible. And everyone wants to say that Tua sucks. You can't throw the ball down the field. I don't know if Tua's good or not. I know one thing. He completes a high percentage of his passes. He's generally pretty smart with the football. He's a guy who seems to have a pretty good grasp of the offense. They're now running the ball a little bit better with Duke Johnson. But this is a team with a terrible offensive line and a good young defense. I don't know, again, where they're going to go from here, but Jalen Waddle's special. I do know that. The more, And maybe the best, and you're seeing it there, the waddle that he does when he scores touchdowns, maybe the best touchdown dance going. He's really, really good for a rookie wide receiver. So that was week 16. Two more weeks left. If you think about it, normal year, there's one more week left, but now with 17 games, there's two more weeks left as we go into January. Playoff picture, there are a ton of teams still alive. You look at in the NFC, you've got three teams at seven and eight, the Vikings, Atlanta, and the Saints. None of them, in my opinion, look like a playoff team, but they're only a game behind both Philly and San Fran. Arizona at 10 and five, and the Rams at 11 and four. One of them's going to win the West. One of them's going to be the wild card. But Philly, San Fran, and the three teams I mentioned, that's five teams for two spots. So a lot available there. And in the AFC, it's even more wide open at the back end. Of course, you've got KC setting the pace, and I think it needs to be said that the best team in the in the AFC and probably in the NFL right now is back to being the Kansas City Chiefs. It, it, they've come full circle. And, and you look at what Chris Jones has done defensively, it's changed that team. They won this week without Travis Kelsey. They didn't get much from Tyreek Hill. But man, you start looking at the the back end. The Ravens at eight and seven, the Chargers, Raiders, all eight and seven. Those teams have a chance, but so do the Steelers at seven, seven, and one. Dolphins, they're eight and seven now because of the win last night. And then you've got the Browns and the Broncos at seven and eight hanging on with a chance to get in. The NFL was built on the premise of parity, allows things to happen where every year your team can be in it. This year, I've never, I don't think there's ever been a year with more teams having a realistic chance to get in with two weeks left in the season than right now. So, really, really good stuff as far as playoff possibilities. Coaches, we've already had. Two firings. There's seven to eight every year. Turnover of coaches, roughly 25% of the league, turns over every year. So I'm guessing between six and eight. We've already had two. Matt Nagy's three. I know they won Sunday. Doesn't save his job. That means up to five others could be done. And I put together a list where I think at least three of these guys get fired, and there's going to be somebody I don't mention, somebody we don't see coming, who's going to lose their job. Matt Rule is a possibility. Pete Carroll in Seattle is a very good possibility. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I mentioned Mike Tomlin with the Steelers. Houston, David Culley, I know it's it'd be one and done. I just don't feel he's the guy. They come off a good win this week. 
just don't think David Coley's the guy. Robert Sala. What what have the Jets done better in week 15 than they did in week one? Has their defense improved? He's a defensive guy. I, I, I don't know if they'd move on from him, but it wouldn't shock me if they did. Mike Zimmer is the other name, and I talked about him earlier. So I do believe of those guys, and, and I'm sure I'm missing somebody because there's always somebody that you go, whoa, didn't see that coming. Three of those five guys will get fired. The other thing at this time of the year you look at is the draft. Jags right now have the number one pick. They're two and 13. The Lions, they're two, 12 and one. That tie would move them to the second pick in the draft. Three teams are at four and 11. Houston, the Jets and the Giants. So that'll make up the next round of picks. Seattle, Carolina and the Bears all at five and 10. Remember this. Seattle's pick goes to the Jets. The Bears pick goes to the Giants. So there are a lot of teams that are going to pay attention to this draft and, and, and how things shake out the last couple of weeks. You know who's going to be in the top 10 in a couple cases, but like if Seattle loses a couple more, they, that could be a great pick for the Jets. If the Bears lose out, could be a great pick for the Giants. Here's the other thing. Washington's the only team at 6-9. and nine. They'd be picking ninth. There are six teams at 7-8 and eight that make up picks 10 through 15 going forward. So there is a lot of stuff going on. So a lot, lot to look at there. I'm trying to read a chat, and I'm not able to fully see it. So I appreciate you, you chiming in, but unable to to read that and continue on with the show. So I'm going to continue on with the show. Switch it over to SU Hoops. COVID got it got Syracuse in a big way. They, the Lehigh and Cornell games were postponed. The Georgia Tech game was postponed. Syracuse added a game last night. They played Brown. Easy win, 93-62 win over Brown. They're going to play Cornell now on Wednesday when they were supposed to play Georgia Tech. Last night, Buddy Bayheim had 28. Joe Girard had a good night, 15-7. and So the Orange getting the kinks out. Remember, Saturday, it was supposed to be Wednesday they start the ACC season. Now they start it Saturday against UVA at the Carrier Dome. College basketball is kind of a mess. right? All sports are a mess right now because of COVID. College basketball, definitely a mess. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of postponements and late in the season, teams are going to start playing three games in a week to make up the games that they're pushing back. Now, I'm assuming, of course, that we are cresting with COVID, where the numbers are very high now, a lot of people testing positive. Hopefully, as we get to February, that is declined greatly. Same thing with college bowls. We're getting bowls canceled. We're getting teams added to play in a bowl real late in a game. The bowl season's a mess. Of course, this weekend, you've got the Final Four. You've got the playoff. Will they be impacted? Certainly. Everyone's being impacted. Will they be canceled? Will they be pushed back? That's the real question. There is time that they could move these games back should they choose to. I'm sure the NCAA will do everything that they can to not allow that to happen. Michigan-Georgia game should be a great, great game. I'm intrigued to see how Georgia responds from getting their ass kicked by Alabama. Michigan and Harbaugh, this is his chance to put a stamp on his time so far at Michigan. He's been underwhelming. They're in the playoff. That's a good step one. But getting to the championship game, I think, would really solidify him as a top coach in college football. Alabama, Cincinnati, it's got to be Alabama, right? Saban's got a month to prepare. It's got to be Alabama in that one. Christmas Day is always a huge day for the NBA. It is their day. They love it. They have games all day. I watched about 10 minutes of NBA action. Because I'd flip over, watch it, find it an unwatchable product, and flip off. Flip over, unwatchable, flip off. Did it about three times. And the NBA's got a problem. 
well, they got a couple. The COVID situation, obviously, in the NBA is going to be more impactful because you have less players. There's only five guys on the floor. So if you lose a couple players, you're losing 40% of your starting lineup. That's a huge impact. That's a problem. Here's the other problem. If you look at the top five teams right now, Golden State, and everyone loves Steph Curry but me. Everyone loves that guy but me. Golden State's very fun to watch, except for me. I don't like Steph Curry. I I don't know why. I, I do know why. The shimmy. Every time he makes a shot, he's got to he's got to celebrate. Just dude, I know. I, I'm not. I, I'm the grumpy old guy. Get off my lawn. Just get back and try to play a little defense. He's a great player. The best shooter in the history of the game. He has changed. For not for the better, but he has changed the way the game is played. Great players in all sports change the way the game's played. Michael Jordan in the 80s changed the way the game was played. And people who played at that time tried to do things that Michael Jordan did. Hang forever, switch hands, do all these things in the air. Even guys like me who couldn't jump tried to do all that crap. It was bad for the game because people try to emulate someone they can't do. Steph Curry has changed the game. Steph Curry's bad for the game because now it's wide open and everyone shoots the three. I could shoot the three right now. Doesn't mean I'm going to make it. The problem with people shooting the three is how many guys can make the three? Steph's the greatest shooter of all time and he makes it look easy. However, you watch games all the time where people who can't shoot threes shoot threes all the time. He has changed the game, not for the better, but it shows his true impact and his true greatness as a player. But Golden State's the best team in the league. Everyone loves them, except me. Phoenix. Nobody cares about Phoenix. They're the second best team in the league. Nobody wants to watch Phoenix on a Tuesday night. Utah is a really good team. Third best team in the league. Nobody's watching Utah outside of Utah. The Brooklyn Nets are very good. Unfortunately, as bad as the Knicks have been, the Knicks are still a much more popular team than the Nets. And then you've got the Bulls, who nobody has watched since Jordan went away. The top five teams in the league, other than Golden State, nobody cares about outside of their own region. And yet, the national franchises, the Lakers, horrible, unwatchable. They play no defense whatsoever. This was as poorly of a constructed roster. You got LeBron James as your centerpiece. So do what everyone else did when they had LeBron. Surround him with shooters and guys who play defense. It's not what the Lakers did, and it's showing. That's a terrible team. The Celtics, historically great franchise, having another very bad year because they've got talented players who don't know how to win and won't sacrifice their own to get a win. The Knicks. Everyone came into this year looking at the Knicks as uh, the team that's going to take off. They've stepped back in a big way. The NBA's got a problem. They're a regional m- m- league right now because they're, all of their good teams are in smaller markets. All of their big markets, bad teams, with the exception of Golden State. One other thing, another good team, think about this. Think about this. The best story in the NBA this year is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm going to give you a minute to think. This is a quiz. How many Cleveland Cavaliers can you name? I did this this morning. Oh, Colin Sexton, Kevin Love, Evan Mobley. Kevin Love, I already said him. The Cavs are a great team. They're playing excellent basketball. Did anyone even remember Jared Allen, their center, who's very good defensively? I didn't. How about Darius Garland, who might be one of the most underrated players in the league? I forgot that Ricky Rubio was still in the league, let alone in Cleveland. Put the Cavs on national TV, please. Not because I want to watch them play, just so I can learn who's on the team. Because I really don't know, and they're kind of good and interesting. That's it for this week. Have a great new year. I will be off next week. Got a little medical thing going on next week, so unable to go. 
But I'll be back in two weeks, hopefully, to talk about the Bills being in position to win the AFC East. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.